We've all been there in a moment of fury. Someone fires off a rant on social media. Naturally, we want to fire back. But what happens when that would-be post becomes something else? When instead of blasting more clutter onto the internet, you actually try to make a difference in the real world. That's what today's guest did at the start of a strange and bewildering journey that takes him to a global summit of the United Nations and around the world without a plane. Hey, Get Lost podcast fans, it's Meredith from the podcast Meredith for Real, The Curious Introvert. I believe in perspective through curiosity, so I talk with paradoxical people each week, like the woman who escaped a forced marriage in the U.S. and now helps others do the same, episode 48. If you like personal development and are ready to meet people outside the algorithm, come visit me at Meredith for Real, The Curious Introvert, wherever you listen to podcasts. You're listening to the Get Lost Podcast. Here's your host, skilled storyteller, nomadic navigator, has prettier hair than, well, all of us, Joe Sills. Welcome back to the Get Lost Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Sills, freelance writer for National Geographic, Discovery Channel, Lonely Planet, other outlets around the globe. Today's guest is an artist and a humanitarian who left the corporate grind to improve other people's lives around the globe. The organization he founded, 28 June, works with the United Nations to deliver relief and aid to the Western Balkans, and they have operations in about 30 countries around the planet. He's a member of the Forbes Nonprofit Council. His name is Philippe Philippi, and he joins us now. Philippe, hi. How you doing, Joe? Thank you. I, I appreciate the intro and the Serbian pronunciation very much. You're welcome. I realize everyone in the States just calls you Philip. That works as well. (laughs) Uh, Tell us about your organization because today's adventure revolves all around 28 June. And I think it's going to be one of the most insane stories that's ever been told on this ridiculous show. Yes. Thank you. Okay. So, you know, I'll start, I'll start off slowly to leave the fun parts for later. Uh, essentially 10 years ago in October, uh, in October of 2011, mm-hmm. I founded my humanitarian organization, 28 June. Uh, we gradually grew to include members in 30 countries all over the world. So you and, say that really uh, casually, but how do you found a humanitarian organization? Like, where does that idea come from? Oh my goodness. Um, you know what? Uh, I'll tell you, I was, I was in the process. So this is, this is 2011, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Instagram isn't as big kind of Facebook is the main outlet 
that you vent. Mm-hmm. Um, even though Facebook now owns Instagram, so I guess not much has changed. Yeah. But I was in the middle of writing. Um, I was in the middle of writing a Facebook status about you know the injustices in this world, okay. and um, right, right, as you know, I was about to hit enter and post like you know this brilliant status about you know the injustices on this planet. I was like, you know what? This isn't going to make any kind of difference. I might get a couple likes. I may, I might get a couple shares. You know, some comments. You know, um, but in essence, it's not going to make any kind of tangible uh, difference on this planet. And you and I and I stop writing this brilliant status. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to mm-hmm. do something concrete. I'm going to make an organization. And um, you know, some some obsessive kind of work work hours later, you know, here we are. That, that's that's the beginning of it. That's remarkable because I, I think we've all been there and whether our statuses were brilliant or not, you know, we all thought, oh, this is the one. And and you hit it and all that happens is basically a dumpster fire. <laughs> you lose half of your friends. Um, but you decided <laughs> to actually like get into it and, and you researched it. And so what does the name 28 June mean? What's that about? 20 June uh, has two meanings. Number one, it's the patron saint day of St. Vitus, who is the patron saint of protection against storms. Mm. Uh, The other reason which is important to the Serbian people, like uh, like we mentioned at the beginning, I'm from Serbia originally, Mm -hmm. uh, raised in Canada. It, it was on June 28th, which we call Vidovdan in our language. It was also the Battle of 1389, um, which is kind of like the defining moment, you know, kind of like July 4th when the Americans beat, you know, the British to kind of make it relatable to the audience. It's right, when yeah. the Ottoman Empire, which was, you know, the largest empire in the entire world at that point, uh, decided to invade Serbia and kind of subjugate the country and eventually Europe and uh, the leadership of Serbia was like, no, we're not going to do that. We're just going to fight till the end. And uh, it's, it took place on uh, Kosovo field on June 28th and 1389, quite a long time ago, but it's still kind of like, you know, a defining date for, for the Serbian people. And so rally and cry then. Essentially, essentially, but also the humanitarian aspect. We also wanted to make tie it to, to St. Vitus and, the protection against storms and, you know, being there for people going through turbulent times. Yeah, of course. And the Balkans, of course, eh, geez, man, in our lifetimes has always been a place of turbulence. Yeah. It's, it's never boring how I like to say it. (laughs) Uh, Educate our audience a little bit, because I think it's important to know what people need over there, why humanitarian organization is important uh, because I'll be honest with you, I don't have an intimate knowledge of that part of the world. And I'm not sure that a lot of Americans do because what little history we are taught in books pretty much only focuses on here. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'd love to, especially to, you know, the, the younger generations to uh, to teach them more about this part of the world. So essentially, um, the region that I come from, the country I was born in, the former Yugoslavia, was Bernie Sanders's idea of a utopia. Okay. So it, it wasn't a place that needed humanitarian assistance. It was a place that helped other people with humanitarian assistance. Um, it was, it was a functioning socialist country that had a high standard of living. 
Um, very prosperous, the leader of the non-aligned movement, which in international politics was the countries that weren't in NATO mm -hmm. and weren't in the Warsaw Pact. So a relatively small country like that to be the leader of the non-aligned movement, which also included countries like, um, you know, India under Gandhi, uh, Egypt under Nasser was a very important player in, in that era. Uh, you know, we hosted the 84 Olympics, very, very influential country for its size. And, and, and wedged in between these superpowers in the height of the Cold War, really. Absolutely. Yes. For entire existence, we were kind of wedged between East and West, which kind of which is kind of the reason that the region is so turbulent, as, as we mentioned. Mm -hmm. uh, however, uh, when uh, this when the Soviet Union collapsed and uh, the war, the Warsaw Pact with it, there was no more need to keep us as like this buffer country. Mm -hmm. And, you know, essentially the world bank started putting all sorts of like economic pressure on the country. And because there is such a diverse group of ethnic groups and religions in the country, it's always been a powder keg, which is, you know, not too difficult to get us going against each other, unfortunately. And, you know, even though we were such a progressive, you know, successful country and society, unfortunately in the early nineties, the first, of the 90s Balkan Wars started. And this yeah. was between, uh, you know, first Slovenia left and then Croatia. And then, you know, the, the war, the first war was uh, in Croatia. The second war in the mid 90s was in Bosnia. And then the final war was in Kosovo. Uh, and this is all you, Yugoslavia just splitting apart. Yugoslavia splitting into, into, six, into six brand new states. So, you know, in that decade, almost no one went peacefully. And it was just a series of very unfortunate wars which pitted neighbor against neighbor um the last one being in 99 so the so we went from we went from 91 to 99 we made full use of the 90s and uh that is what you know hurt the economic situation there and then sparked a very slow um post-conflict recovery the last you know that is still in effect you know making the region this uh, a region which needs humanitarian help instead of one that offers humanitarian help to others. And that, that is where we saw niche to fill. And that is how my organization was born. I got you. So the stuff that you guys help with, uh, delivering medical equipment, um, what, what other kind of stuff do you do? Medical equipment was the chief purpose, but then we moved into disaster relief, uh, 2014, the region suffered historic floods, uh, 2016, it became a hotspot for migrants coming from the conflicts in the Middle East. So, so we assisted, you know, with the migrants, with their process, you know, feeling welcome, getting uh, healthcare checks and so on. And then we also moved into once we started working with the United Nations, we started implementing the global global goals, uh, sustainable development goals on the ground. And that's everything from like uh, environmental causes to, you know, as well as working with all the way to individual families. If we see someone in distress, we, we build houses, we provide, you know, farming equipment so they can have a sustainable livelihood. All of this from a deleted Facebook post. All of that from a deleted Facebook post and some very OCD work ethic. <laughs> and luck it's, and luck of course <laughs> it's pretty inspirational i want to talk a little about your work ethic now because i think we've painted the picture for listeners that you have this it's pretty impressive organization this isn't just like some fly-by-night deal you work with people in about 30 different countries and you helm the whole thing which means theoretically in a world 
pre-pandemic, you had to go to meetings around the globe. Yeah. I did. And there's this just, is where, <laughs> this is where our tale begins. Yeah. Cause there's one serious hiccup people, one serious hiccup with his plan. Well, it sounds like things are about to get really crazy for Philippe as he travels from Canada to Istanbul without a plane. Before we get into his Madden-esque journey, I want to give a special shout out to a friend of the show, Diamond Dallas Page. You may know him as the master of the diamond cutter or a former world heavyweight champion. Or you may know him as the surfer from season two of our show, where he takes us to the remote surf breaks of Costa Rica on an incredible journey through the jungle. What you might not know is that DDP runs one of the most impactful fitness programs for world travelers on the planet. It's called DDPY, and Dallas developed it himself when doctors told him he'd never wrestle again after breaking his back in the ring. Spoiler alert, he did wrestle again. And not only did DDP's exercises help him win the World Heavyweight Championship, they also helped me get back to work as well. When I broke my arm in an ATV accident in 2018, DDP was there to put me back together. He gave me some tips and tricks to rehab a completely non-functional arm. And a few months later, I was using DDPY to get in shape for a 270 mile bike ride across Spain. It's been years now since I started using DDPY to stay in shape between flights, campfires, and hotel visits. And I can honestly say it's helped keep me at the top of my game while traveling the globe. So big thanks to DDP and DDPY. If you're looking for ways to get in shape or stay in shape for adventures, check out ddpyoga.com today where you can download the app and get started. Back to the show. Yeah, let's, let's sum up with the 30 countries. So this would be awesome if this was like, you know, 30 countries in the Balkans, you know, they were all like neighborly, right? And I could just kind of zip around Central Europe and visit these small city states. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, or fortunate, fortunately for the sake of this podcast, um, you know, these countries stretch all over the world from Australia to Canada to, to, to Northern Europe to South Africa. And as we learned with the pandemic, you can only get so much done remotely. Which means eventually, uh, four years into funding the organization, I had to physically meet up and go recruit some of these members. Now, what makes this interesting is I did it without an airplane. I don't like flying. <laughs> You're uh, terrified of flying. You, like, I, I, at, I don't like it. I it's like it's it. not even like, it's, it's really a serious thing. Um, let's see, how can we compare this? You, you told me about John Madden. Um, John Madden is this famous NFL broadcaster in the States that traveled the country in a bus because not a luxury train. Oh, it was a luxury train. Is that what it was? A li- yeah. Luxury train. You know, he, he's getting that. He's getting those EA sports checks. He could afford it. He had a, he had a, he had a luxury cart on a, on a, attached to Amtrak's. That's crazy. So, yeah. so you're doing that, but without the EA sports money. Um, and here we are, you know, you have to travel the world and you know, you don't want to get on an airplane. Uh, it's a, it's a real phobia. It's a serious thing. And tell us what you do to get around it. Wow. Okay. So when, um, you know, like on continentally, like, you know, what Madden does, it's not so bad because you have, you have the train system. 
um, you, you got you have the bus system. Uh, it's it's all right, but you know what makes the story interesting is when you're doing it. You know, as, as we all know, we have when you're doing it against three oceans, right? And now that that is when you have to get very creative, and um, that is when I discovered that cargo ships. It's a, it's some kind of grandfathered archaic rule, but they still take passengers. Um, so believe it or not, um, you know, those cargo ships that you see kind of, if you, if you're fortunate enough to live in a port city, those, those cargo ships that you see, uh, kind of docked several miles offshore, they take pa- passengers and, um, that how, was me. How did you discover that? that? Cause these are like these massive hulking and we're based in Memphis, so we don't have cargo ships, but a lot of our listeners do. Um, I know that we have them all over the, the country. So these big hulking container ships that they're like all business they actually have room for passengers. Yeah, yeah, it's and yes. Well, first to answer your question, like um, how I found out, you kind of realize when you just despise flying as much as I do. You you do see there's a small community, um, you know, people of us that just like we we worship the statues of John Madden and Stanley Kubrick, who also not <laughs> who also didn't fly. And then you kind of you kind of see how they got around, and then you start asking. You're like, okay, so there's cruises, but you know, cruises just go to like the exotic destinations. You know what I mean? Like, unfortunately, we don't have uh, you know too many members in Bermuda, right? But you know, so you kind of you try to do the cruises where you can, but these yeah. other places, you know, when you, when you need to get down from uh, you know Mongolia down to Australia, you got you got to get creative, and that's when you discover uh, these cargo ships. Um, and there's a, you know, there's actually a couple companies that they're kind of like the intermediary between uh, the cargo line. So they'll kind of like sell you the ticket, mm-hmm. um, which is, which is, is such a niche market. It was so crazy. And like, as we like go on, it's like, man. like a, yeah. is it like a guy with a leather jacket? He's like flipping a coin. He's got a pocket knife in an alley. Like, how do you? That you know, like I did, you couldn't meet them because, like, the ones I was dealing with were based in the UK when I was in Australia. But you definitely get the feeling it's someone like that, and you know, he doesn't get too many customers, you Uh know what I mean? So it's kind of like, oh, okay, like you're here, and uh, you know, something these guys will pick you up from Singapore, and you know, three weeks later, they'll drop you off in Perth, Australia, right? So, um, yeah, wow, so okay. So you've got this mission and the time frame is what? What's the time frame when you like have to leave Canada and start visiting people? So we got we got to go back to the beginning. So the the, okay. the entire thing that this sparked this thing was we got a personal invite from the United Nations undersecretary. Came in my name, you know, highlight of my life at that point. Uh, we were invited to the first ever World Humanitarian Conference in Istanbul. Okay. So in huge May. deal. Yeah, huge, huge deal. This this had I was just I quickly wikied it to to kind of refresh my memory. It had a hundred and fifty heads of state, so everyone was there. Merkel was there. I don't know what was going on in America. I, th- I think America was either pre-election or post-election. So the, whoever the president was then couldn't go. But this took place in uh, May of two thousand sixteen, mm-hmm. and however, you know, I, I can't I can't just leave early May two thousand sixteen to get there. Yeah, I had to leave. I had to leave four months before. So our journey begins in the early spring, I believe, April of 2016. And, like I've uh, got to be in Istanbul in May, and now it's April. I gotta go. Like old school, 
and how this was late May too. This this was late May. This conference this conference was the end of May. So I I left about two and a half two or two and a half months before. Mm-hmm. Um, I live very beautiful um, city that I, that I grew up in after we immigrated to Canada, Victoria, British Columbia, on Vancouver Island. Mm. Uh, so my first step getting off the island and this this isn't too exotic some people take some people take the seaplanes i took the helicopter once it was fucking terrifying i we can't we can't i apologize for that. helicopters was, are worse than airplanes dude i don't like helicopters yeah yeah you know that's not a good like if you have a fear of uh, airplanes don't get on a helicopter anyway um so no no this time i just you t- i took the, f- the first the first kind of amphibious journey was taking the ferry from Vancouver Island. No, from Vancouver Island directly into Seattle. And from Seattle, um, I caught the Empire Builder. And this, this, it's, this is a gorgeous uh, tra- route that Amtrak has that goes from Seattle all the way to Chicago wow. through the Rocky Mountains. What a name, the Empire Builder. They, yeah, you know, they, they, you know, heading out west, that's exactly what they Storm were doing. Stormtroopers, take your ticket. <laughs> yeah right. Um, so yeah, I don't know why they call it the Empire Builder going back to Chicago, but yeah. So you know that that's the first train. It's it's about it's about a fifty hour trip, but it varies. And it goes so through you, the Rockies and all the way through the plains. And like describe that. Ooh, gorgeous, gorgeous. The first the first part takes you to Washington State, where you go through through the Rocky Mountains. Of uh, there, there was one interesting thing. There was one very interesting thing, uh, was, which I found kind of ironic. Um, the first time I took this trip, and I've taken it many times since. There's a part of Montana, right, where because yeah. you know the infrastructure, uh, the the railroad infrastructure in America is kind of dated. It's gorgeous, but it's kind of you know dated. And Biden has promised to work on it, according hey, to his Instagram, according to his Instagram bio. Yeah, we, been, there, we built it in like 1890, bro. Just left it like that. Yeah, like that, that's and that you you get that field. Now there's this one bridge that is over top of this canyon. And this canyon is so high that it's almost kind of comical. Like when I looked down, it it was kind of like that road runner thing where the coyote falls over and he keeps on falling. Now this is the highest canyon Ooh. I've ever seen in my entire life. And because the bridges are old and the infrastructure is older, the train actually has to like slow down to like you know like a two mile an hour creep as it goes across it. And Dear I'm just kind God. of thinking there. And I was like thinking that like you know what like I I, I did this because I don't like plane plans and I'm on this kind of like shaky <laughs> bridge over this infinite canyon right, which I'm looking down at, and I'm like and I'm like you know what this is what you deserve. You're stubborn. <laughs> You're here, but you know. I, you know, I, I, as you can, as as witnessed by me speaking to you today, we 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 passed the canyon and kind of continued to Chicago. So if, if you do get on the Empire Builder, look out for this canyon and this bridge. Um, but once once you get past that, it's kind of like you know, smooth sailing. We we go through um, Fargo, North Dakota, uh, then uh, then Minnesota, then um, Wisconsin, Wisconsin Dells, and eventually down down into the into the Union Station. In Chicago. Yeah, and that's um, just bustling. And at this point, I mean, a lot of people would say this is a grand adventure in itself, and you haven't even really started. Oh, no, this is this is this this is just the beginning. This this is the easy part. This is the yeah. easy part. Um you get you get a little sleeper car, you get your three meals, it's nice. Um 
However, then I then I got to Chicago. Now, the the uh, the, the train system kind of from Chicago to, to the East Coast isn't the greatest. So I believe on this particular occasion, my friends and actually the former the former VP of my organization, um, Milo Dubak. Uh, we we got together and a couple other friends, uh, Vladimir and his cousin Nick. We uh, rented a car, and then we drove from Chicago to D.C. because we actually had some meetings in D.C. We had a we had a we had a debrief with the Serbian ambassador in Washington D.C. Kind of like what what issues they wanted raised at the World Humanitarian Summit. So we drove from Chicago to D.C. I met up with the ambassador. We did a quick tour. Amazing museums in, in D.C by the way, for people that haven't been and they're all free, incredibly museums. And then went to New York to more meetings uh, and went to the, briefly went to the United Nations in New York mm-hmm. with, with the consult, consultative status that my organization has. We have, we have the annual pass. So when you, when you and, walk into like the UN in New York briefly, like what is that feeling like? That, the first that is a very very interesting building to be because as you know the the general assembly of the united nations is where like every great world leader in the past 75 years has attended and spoken you know from che Guevara to um to gaddafi to you know trump late you know with the trump went on for three hours talking about himself or something so like every, everyone everyone has kind of been at that stage and it Mm-hmm. It's 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 a it's a grand structure and like in, inside of it as well like you have the delegates lounge on, on the floor below it and this is decorated with just like the finest um you know artifacts that every country could could provide to the United Nations and you, you know you'll have like this like 2000 year old vase from like Persia and then you'll have like this carpet from Afghanistan and you know you'll have this art from you know, Western Africa. It's just, it's just an incredible building that, uh, you know, I, I recommend. And they have, they have tourist tours. Like, you know, if, you, if you're in New York, check it out. It's, it's a very interesting place. So it's Miladovic, Vladimir, and Nick, and you, and you walk in. And they're, they're going back. They're like, what the fuck? Oh, so they're, they're, they're like, we've you can had cuss on the show. It's fine. Can I? Can I? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So they're, they're like, we've had enough. Okay. They're like, we're flying back to Chicago. Good luck with the rest of your trip. Like it was fun. I don't think they even went to New York with me. They went to the DC and they're like, we're out of here. You know, they, they <laughs> dropped right, cool. off. The, they dropped, they dropped. Yeah. They dropped off. They dropped off the rental car uh, at, at um, Reagan airport. And they're like, we're out, you know? And then like, see, ya. and then I, and then I got on, I got the, on the train from DC to New York and I went to New York by myself. I went to the UN and then uh, once I was done with that, I took another train which goes down the east coast of America. Mm-hmm. Uh, this goes, this goes down. You know, you go through the Carolinas, and I needed a little break. And this is my first. Not I'm lying to you. This wasn't my first time in the U.S. South. This this is my first time in Georgia. And I had I had uh, I asked some friends. I'm like, I need a break. Where should I stop? My options are Charleston, uh, South Carolina, or Savannah, Savannah, Georgia. That's all right. And, cool. You know, and by all accounts, people are like, you know, Charleston's more historic. And the only reason I picked Savannah, Georgia was because I like the name Savannah better. Yeah. But it's a nice, it, yeah, like, it's a very interesting city, actually. It's, it's gorgeous. Yeah. It's gorgeous. Um, and, and, uh, and, I, and I ended up going there and it ended up being a really, I've never seen a, a city like it. You have these, um, like these, like, how, how would you describe them? 
like these kind of like avenues. Yeah, the avenues and these trees. So what what kind of tree is that? That's um, um weeping think, willow. What is yeah, that? Yeah, there there's like willow trees and in Savannah, I I think they're oak trees, but they have this moss on them that sort of hangs down. It's called Spanish moss. And it, it basically is like natural drapery, natural curtains. Um, and so, well, I'll let you describe it. I've never actually, you described it perfectly. Um, that's exactly what it is. And it's, and it's just gorgeous. And um, it's also on the water. Uh, so there's this kind of like old port and um, it was, it was really, really cool. It was really cool. Uh, it almost I, I looks like, like a much. graveyard scene. If you took out the graveyard, like, and turned up the lights, that's what Savannah to me feels like. Yeah. Well, like, right. Well, literally um, one of the central places to it is a Confederate graveyard. Yes. Actually. It's definitely the, haunted. The, yeah. Right. So that, that was, that was central to it. And, um, I'll come, I'll come back to it because at the end, um, we'll do kind of like a review of what I thought of each city in terms of safety. So we'll, we'll come, we'll come back to this, but, um, it was, it was cool. I enjoyed my stay. I was there maybe two days, you know, just to get a break from, from what at this point was already a 10 day trip by just trains. Um, and then I went, I, I went from Savannah, Savannah, Georgia, and I went to Orlando. I went to Orlando where I met up with my girlfriend at the time. So this is the part of the trip that really fools people. So this, okay. this is like this is like deceptive and why people uh, shouldn't trust Instagram. Um, we were in Orlando. Disney. I'm so curious yeah, yeah. because I'd have no preconception of Orlando other than it's humid and full of people in mouse costumes disney world right so we went we went to disney world right and uh so to the unsuspecting eye it may have appeared that i was on vacation instead of what turned out to be a three-year trip around the world without an airplane so you know we went to disneyland for a couple hours and took some pictures and then right away um to tampa bay we caught a ship together. So this is the first ship. So this is, this is no more trains. And by the way, that train that goes from um, Orlando to Tampa is gorgeous because so, you know, you, you don't have, you don't have the tree, the trees of uh, Georgia now replaced with the orange trees. Mm-hmm. I've never seen so many oranges on the ground in orange trees in my life. And it was like, you know, me not being from the south, it was it was a really incredible scene. And just rolling through like that that low flat <laughs> countryside. Yeah, very slow speeds with oranges falling off these trees. You know, I'm like, what a waste of like kind of oranges. Like you, I kind of want to gather them and make some orange juice, but I'm sure someone else does it. Tropicana or whatever yeah. bottles it up and sells it. And then you know the first. Um, so this is like, so this isn't a good time to travel um, on ship because this is. This is April. Um, this is early April, and across the Atlantic, it's very cold. So mm. they kind of quickly, like you know, the beaches of Florida and Miami, which were relatively warm in this at this time, is it's replaced by the it's replaced by the North Atlantic, and you have a fourteen day fourteen day trip with ship in in like it's kind yeah is that still winter no it's not 
early early spring. It's, it's the end it's, of winter, early spring. It's yeah. free. It's freezing. It's freezing. You can't you can't do much. You can't do much. It's freezing. And you know what? The Atlantic. It's not like the Pacific, which we'll get into later when I bet what you can kind of like stop in islands and it, and it gets interesting. Mm-hmm. There's only two islands of the Atlantic. There's Bermuda, besides the Caribbean. Like, you know, we got mm-hmm. out of the Caribbean and uh, there's Bermuda, which is kind of out there all by itself. Kind of, you know, interesting, interesting city where everyone's wearing um, shorts and high socks. And sense. then right yeah like you know they're, they're they're doing their yacht thing we stopped there for a day and then the other one is the azores which is all which is off the coast of europe so i gotta warn people there's not much in the north atlantic there's not much in the north atlantic besides bermuda and the azores which are like depressing as hell um during this time of year uh it's cold then, so because <laughs> it's, it's cold right it's cold yeah. there's nothing to do like there's not there's not many tourists because it's cold um and then before eventually we we disembarked in a Copenhagen in the Netherlands which is also cold and we, yeah which yeah it was freezing and or and Denmark, the thing Denmark, about yeah. it is and, and and imagine me like like um you know you're not flying so i had oh i should have brought it. i had i had a duffel bag mm-hmm. i had i had a duffel bag and a backpack Right. So you kind of you try to fit in closer four seasons in there. And like, you know, I had this kind of like medium windbreaker, which is good enough for North America, but like not not Denmark. So soon as soon as I get off, I'm freezing to death. Um, and then I and then I went to work. Then I went to work. There was there was some there were some potential new members that wanted to join in Denmark right away. Uh, went went to meetings with them. We have a lot of members in Sweden. Uh, took a train from Copenhagen to uh, to to South Sweden, Malmo. Met with met with more members, and then back across Europe through. Uh, this this is kind of cool um, for some of the listeners to check it out. When you when you go from Malmo back to Copenhagen, you take a train, and then that train, right? The train detaches itself onto a ship. What? So you don't, yeah, you don't, you don't leave the train. The train detaches onto a ship and then that ship takes you to Hamburg, Germany. What? So isn't that, isn't that weird? Wait. And then it reattaches, and then it reattaches. So wait, 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 wait. So because to get from Denmark to Sweden, there's like a bridge. Yes. And you go over the bridge and it's a really long bridge and it's beautiful. Um, and then, then what you go up into Sweden in the countryside because like southern Sweden Malmo is like kind of fields and forests and stuff yeah that's right and then you go over to the Baltic Sea and your train boards a ship back back to back to Copenhagen back to Copenhagen so in order to ah. get on the ship I had I had to go to back to Copenhagen and um also like very uh, very quickly some an interesting point I'll try to give like cu- interesting cultural points of of every country I've been in Hotels in the Scandinavian countries, even if you're on a queen or king bed and you're with your partner, they still give you individual blankets. Oh, yeah, they do that, don't they? What? That just blew my mind. That was just like, wow. Like, because I've heard yeah. of like, you know, I've heard kind of Northern Europe is kind of like cold and 
individualistic, but like, you know, this really manifested itself in the individual blanket. So yeah, that's, that's a quick kind of cultural note that oh, I found interesting. Man, yeah. You remember that? About yeah. That. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they yeah. do. You get in this, and yeah, that like, cause they'll give travel writers, like they always want to impress you and want you to write about the hotel. It's like, that's our job. But usually you get a nice room and we would have these big beds and even the beds were like sort of two beds put together and then they'd have like individual blankets, which is like mind blowing me. I'm like, so you guys like you don't cuddle. It's not a thing. Yeah, they're they're very anti cuddle blankets. It was that was really, really, really interesting. And like, you know, this isn't something that you read about. That's why I really encourage people to travel because when you go to these places, you see these like details, which are just really, really kind of like culture shock. But anyway, you know. Um, that, yeah, back, back to Copenhagen, like you said, across, across the Baltic Sea, um, um, on a, on a train that detached and got put on, onto a ship. That's the first time I've ever seen that. And last. Dude, that's wild. That's, that's really wild. I remember one time I was on a school bus that went on a ferry and that was pretty wild, but it's just a bus. I've never heard of a train going on a ship. Yeah. And like, and, and just like, like why, what, what was really the point of that like you know why why couldn't they just have like one train waiting on the other side or maybe i don't know maybe they just trying to yeah. mix it up make it interesting and here's you with your backpack and your duffel bag and is your girlfriend still with you your no she, she 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 had she had university and and she lived in she's from sweden and she had to finish her university and then you know for the for, for the rest of this i was so people uh, just keep ditching you <laughs> yeah you know everyone's kind of like you know like that was fun uh, we're getting back to you know our everyday and you just continue on this odyssey which i did um it really is an odyssey it's it's yeah it's an understatement and then and then i'm in germany and so then it's way different so then then you go from like the very chill americans the working on the train that i was used to to some to to their they're very direct people right um and they just expect you to kind of know everything in German, which is fair enough, right? It's their country. Yeah. Much different than the Scandinavian countries where they all speak better English than we do. That's um, true. Yeah. <laughs> these guys don't. Uh, and, you know, like you kind of have like this ticket that's kind of quite complex looking. And, you know, I had trouble getting to my seat. And, you know, of course, on friendly Amtrak's, it did. You know, be yeah, sure to welcome you aboard and help you, like you know, find your stuff. In Germany, they weren't like that. In Germany, they were not like that. Um, they, you know, they wouldn't stop to talk to you. And I, and I just remember the first German train. I it was, it was a struggle getting onto it, even though the train itself is really nice. So it's really so nice, super modern. Everything's on time, and yet you're like, oh damn. Uh, the, the Germans weren't so nice. I don't. I don't want to be like a persona non grata in Germany after this. But you know, I, you know, like we got to keep it real on this interview. They weren't as nice as the other. Yeah, people. but you know, Maybe I think I don't think they give you two blankets. I think they give you one blanket in Germany. I think they do give you one blanket in Germany. <laughs> yes, I do. I, I was by myself anyway. At this point, I'm back to like kind of single yeah. bed, Pizza Hut mode. I remember. Uh, right. Which city was I in? Um, a Col- I think it was Cologne, the one with the tower. Yeah, yeah, the, you're right. The, the German, the Germans do. Uh, they do the the, <laughs> the one blanket thing. So we're back to kind of uh, human civilization. Um, See, and then I went <laughs> warmer than they yeah, they're appear. Not, they're not all bad. They're not all bad. And the great. Oh, then I went to Berlin. Then then I met. Then I went to Berlin for 24 hours, where I met up with 
Tamara, who at that point, I think she was the director from Germany. She was originally from Australia and she was kind of running the show for our members in Germany. And I stayed because I had to get to Turkey. Remember, I still got this UN conference I got to get to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, the, the clock is ticking. It's like an hourglass as you're having these like experiences and bouncing around the globe you have to that's that's the thing that's the thing where it, like when i told you it looks more glamorous than it looks it's like yeah i've been everywhere but i was at this place like half a day day 24 hours so mm. i'm with her i'm with her 24 hours in berlin um very cool city i've never seen anything like it it's nothing like you'd expect from germany in terms of like kind of like order and efficiency this is the most chaotic mess of a city i've ever seen in my life in what way <laughs> It's in a in a fun, cool way, to be honest with you. Um, it's not usually usually uh, in North America and Anglo-Saxon cities are built on a grid. Mm -hmm. uh, Germanic cities are built in a circle. So you so places you you kind you can kind of see this in America. Um, sorry, North America would be um, Kitchener, Canada, which used to be called Berlin until World War II, then it was called Kitchener, mm -hmm. and Detroit. So it's, it's, it's built more in a circle, but because Berlin was kind of like destroyed and had to be completely rebuilt, like these neighborhoods were kind of spontaneous and the old city, like quote unquote old city, there's not much to see there because again, it was destroyed. So what I found, it was kind of like, and it was all immigrants. That's another thing that shocked me. It was a university city with kind of like these progressive hipster immigrants, unlike the rest of Germany. Um, so in the 24 hours that I was there, I was just kind of, you know, taken aback because that is not what I pictured Germany being. Sure. Yeah. At all. So it's really like a multicultural experience when you're in Berlin. Uh, There's no Germans in Berlin. There's no Germans in Berlin. There's a big joke among English speakers. They're like, you know, we, we don't know any Germans here. So it's very, it's very interesting. But um, great, great free education. A lot of people go there for the free education, uh, free health care, incredible street food. So you had a kind of like this fusion of Turkish I don't know if it was even a fusion, like kind of like the Turkish people and the other immigrants that took over and they incredible street food. That's that's um, embedded in my mind about Berlin. And that was it. 24 hours. Joe and I had to get back on the road. So we're at a point in time where Philippe is nearing Istanbul and we're going to join him back on the road shortly. But before we do, I want to talk to you about the Get Lost podcast. If you are a first time listener today, welcome to the show. This is all about adventure, travel, and exploration in ways that can teach us to be better people. Some of the experiences are frightening, some of them are funny, and some of them are just downright captivating. So when you're done with today's show, I would encourage you to go back through the archive and check out episodes with people like Matthew McConaughey, Rami Romani, and Polar Explorer Mark Wood. All of these episodes are just really captivating. Some of them are even award-winning. And we hope to see you back here with Philippe for episode two. And then you hop back on the train. And Berlin, like the way I'm looking at the map in my mind is you're getting closer. It doesn't feel like Berlin is that far from Turkey. It's not that far, but but Germany's big. Germany, by European country standards, like nothing compared to like North America. But by your, you know, I do remember like Germany being one country where I was like, damn, I'm in here. I, I, I've been here a little uh too long mm -hmm. um then uh my friend peter grabbers who was running he did a lot of the delivery he's originally from bosnia he did a lot of the deliveries in bosnia he picked he picked me up in 
southern Germany. I want to say it was Ulm. And then more meetings in Ulm, a lot of meetings in Munich. We had a lot of members in Munich. Again, didn't stay there very long. And then we rented a car. And now, and this is the home stretch after the meetings, you know, Munich, Ulm. And the, these are more classic German cities, like kind of that you'd expect. Um, now this, this is where we're on the home stretch. We rented a car in Liechtenstein, I believe. How, how would I describe Liechtenstein? To the, to, to, yeah, to, I don't know, to, man. To, to, I've never been there. That's like an obscure dot on a map, if ever there was one. It is. It's a country on paper. They call themselves a country. Uh, essentially, it's a principality. It's a town with one gas station in it that fashions itself to be a country. So, like, it'd be like if this, Providence, this Rhode Island, was a country. Not like Rhode Island. Even small. Even, even smaller than Providence. A neighborhood in Providence. There was one gas station. And it had nice cars. There was nice cars there. I, I, they, they must be ethnically German because the entire vibe is German. I don't even think there's a border. But Liechtenstein's a thing. It's a country. Um, you know, it, it was. I just remember like... That sounds like a place over- that exists for tax purposes. Yeah. Yeah, I, Luxembourg. Yes, Luxembourg is the one that's more known for the tax evasion. But I don't know what this might. This might have been like some like, you know, mid ages fiefdom that decided to keep its independence or something. Kind of like a Swiss type of Monaco, Swiss type of deal, only on a very smaller, kind of more nondescript scale. Yeah, you you got a car now, and you're going to make it through the home stretch. But to get to Turkey and whatnot, you've actually got to go to. I assume you got to go through Eastern Europe, which means you're going to go near or through all of the areas that you're tasked with helping. Now, I yes, exactly. Now I'm back home after a quick pit stop in Austria. I I went through Vienna. I don't remember anything besides again good street food. Slept spent the night there, and we are back in Serbia. We enter Serbia through the northern border through Hungary. And this is like the first time I've been home in, because remember, I don't fly. This is the first time I've been home in over a decade. So aunts, cousins, I just go on this like mad aunts, cousin, family seeing trip in the three or four days. So imagine that you haven't, you haven't like seen your aunts and cousins in 15 years and you have to see all of them in four days because you got to get to Turkey. I mean, and you're I can't not even imagine Turkey. the amount of alcohol involved in that. <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, let's just say <laughs> a quick anecdote. I did not drink before I started this organization. <laughs> yeah, and now I have a bottle of wine beside me right now, Joe. Yeah, as you should. <laughs> and uh, okay, so like, yeah, I see. I quickly say hi to my family again. Another debriefing by the Serbian Foreign Ministry. I'm seeing. You know, I'm seeing if they have a different, if they have a representative other than me is going to Istanbul. Mm-hmm. I was and, told and that do they, they don't. I was told that they don't. So this leads to another interesting thing that happened at the conference. But so quickly met the Serbian foreign ministry. They told me like no one's going there. They give me like this giant golden chain with the Serbian eagle on it what? and tell me to wear it there. Hell yeah. I mean, Hell why- yeah. 
right, but we'll get we'll get to that. Okay, quickly, I grab I, I grab a suit. I quickly buy a suit somewhere. Um, get this giant gold chain. Are you wearing and, your golden chain around Serbia? Because at this point, I feel like you should. I I I may have once or twice, but after I got the gold chain, I was just preoccupied with like getting out of there. Because remember, I can't just fly to Istanbul. I mean, I can, but you know, I can't because <laughs> I can't for the sake of making this fun. I I don't. Mm-hmm. So I quickly then I'm like, how, how do I get to Turkey? <laughs> All right, here's how you get to Turkey. You take a train, and these are the worst trains on the planet. Wait, tell us um, about the worst trains on the planet. Like, what? Tell me. The, 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 well, I mean, they, they were the worst trains at this point. So, like, everything gets gradually worse on this trip in terms of infrastructure. But these were like the worst trains that I've been on. This is some kind of like I don't even know, maybe pre-Yugoslavia. Because remember, I told Yugoslavia was a nice country. Yeah. These trains were maybe like pre-Yugoslavia. Like, I don't know what you know, <laughs> Ottoman era train from Serbia to Bulgaria. Because nice. you enter Turkey, you enter Turkey from Bulgaria. Mm-hmm. A quick, quick stop over in Sofia, the capital mm-hmm. of Bulgaria. Beautiful city. You've been? Uh, yeah, You've absolutely. You've been there, right? Yeah, I have. It's yeah. beautiful um, like mountain kind of overlooking the, the downtown area. And, yeah. It, interesting. It is, is Sofia actually looked like Belgrade in the 80s. So like even though they're the like European Union, like I don't know, they still if you want to get some of that Eastern European feel, uh, check that out. Then I went to Varna to meet up with another friend. Varna, as you know, is on the Black Sea. Yeah, Varna is even more interesting place, full of like, like relics from the Warsaw Pact type stuff. But keep in mind when I'm there, though, right? This is still freezing. So people go there for the summer for the beach. I'm yeah. there when it's like rainy and cold, right? Like I went, I think I went to some kind of museum where they had some kind of black sea dolphin beluga creature. Am I? <laughs> what? Is, what? Am I, does this make sense? They have some kind of. It's a, either a dolphin or a beluga. It's in the Black Sea. They kind of. Tra- they had them in these kind of aquariums, which I think are very cruel. And like you know, they weren't quite visible, but that's kind of what I remember about Varna. Oh, you hey, you got to tell us a little more about Varna because we're a top uh, 50 travel podcast in Bulgaria for some reason. Oh, shout out Bulgaria. Shout out <laughs> yeah. Bulgaria. Um, we love you guys. Awesome people. But 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 too but it was it's too similar to Serbia for me to be like wow this is interesting it was they're yeah. just like you know they're like they're our cousins a beautiful food a deep, they them these pastries filled with cheese that you drink with yogurt same thing as Serbia I felt like I was kind of back home the only thing that was kind of funny is like in you know how here we have like oh like this is like a, a Vietnamese restaurant Chinese mm-hmm. restaurant mm-hmm. in Bulgaria they had Serbian restaurants. Yeah, and and I'm like, there's no need for you to have Serbian restaurants. We have the exact same food. Like we but also we have, have Luchnitsa. Right? Yeah. Right. Exactly. We had I. We just call it Ivad. We had like <laughs> the exact same food, and then they decided. But still, I guess you know they wanted to make it fun and interesting. Like they're eating so exotic. They made these things called Serbian restaurants, which are like not even Serbian restaurants. It's just like Bulgarian food that they put under Serbian restaurants and then they call them Serbian restaurants. I thought that was absolutely hilarious. <laughs> um, they're, they're great. But, they have a, uh, an exact replica of the coffee shop from friends there in uh, Plovdiv. <laughs> I never, st- I never stopped in Plovdiv, but I, I will next time. Really? Yeah. They're, they're, it's a, it's a cool country, right? And 
and uh, they really and it's a European Union country now. So, mm-hmm. like, I think the infrastructure projects they they have uh, going on there are great. Everyone's friendly. Um, everyone looks the same. Would you agree? Uh, yeah, for the for the most part, have a look. Part, <laughs> yeah. Have a look. And you they can have a tell look. when somebody is Bulgarian. Which interestingly, when you go to Romania, it's very similar, but it's like inverted. It's it's like really oh. curious. Yeah, well, yeah, we'll, we'll get we'll get to Romania later. That's that's a whole another fun and then the massive super mall they built in Timisoara. But it, it, Bulgaria is very interesting. They they, they kind of look very similar. Um, and how I know is once we fast forward two years from now, one of the cargo ships that I, I was on had a fully Bulgarian crew. So oh, this sounds great. This is like right? the life aquatic, but it's Bulgarians. Everyone is here. That's exactly. I, I could I could escape them. Anyway, uh, Varna was really cool. Then I get on a bus that takes me to the Turkish border. Now this is not so. It is not common to go to Turkey from Bulgaria by land border unless you live in kind of the neighboring villages on either side of the border. Mm-hmm. This was weird. Like we we went through some we went through some forest in the middle of the night. What? Yeah, forest in the middle of the night, very narrow path, northern Turkey. We get to northern Turkey at I think like 3 a.m. in the morning. And you this know, this is on the bus. This is on the bus. And, you okay. know, at this point, I haven't eaten in a long time. My friend had packed me like this kind of, I believe it was like this avocado toast sandwich, which is the only thing I had to eat. Um, uh, her name's Trey. Hi, Trey. Thank you for the sandwich. Um, and, uh, you know, we, I get there in the middle of the night. I don't, have, I don't have a visa for Turkey, but at this point, visas weren't a problem because I'm a Canadian citizen or mm-hmm. a Serbian citizen when I went to Serbia. And you just, you just kind of like pay for it. You just kind of pay for it at the border but they pull me off and canada had started some kind of beef with turkey at this point where they charge turks an insane amount of money to pay for a visa to come to canada okay and then and then as in you know international relations as retaliation and revenge the turks slap some ridiculous price for Canadians getting a temporary visa going into Turkey. Okay. Right. So it's kind of like they show me like a chart of like how much each country has to pay. And then they're like, they're like, Serbia was like 50 cents. I'm like, awesome. I'm Serbian. But then I'm like, oh, I have Serbian citizenship, but not my Serbian passport. So then you can't prove it to them. So then they're like, oh, so then you're Canadian, buddy. And then like, you know, the chart. So from the very bottom of the chart, right? To the very yeah. top of the chart is like Canadian visas, like two hundred and fifty dollars. No, all Do because that? Canada's starting <laughs> shit. Why is Canada always all starting Canada's, shit? Canada is starting shit with Turkey. Turkey starting shit with Canada, and I'm just like you know, kind of laughing. I'm like, that is so funny. Out of yeah. every country I could have been in the world, and like you know, Canadians are like usually friendly, right? Turkey I mean, like some, notoriously friendly, yeah. Notoriously, notoriously friendly. Turks didn't think so. Like and I didn't bring this much. I didn't bring this much. I have no idea how I paid for this. I think I had like ten different types of currencies at this point: U.S. dollar, Canadian dollar, Swedish krone, Danish. Not everyone uses the euro. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, I had some Canadian, some euros, some Serbian dinars. I put together a stash of money, and I'm like, I have to get to this UN conference. Here's the letter from the. Secretary General of the UN just like let me in, take all this money, and let me in. It was it was four a.m. in the morning. 
I think they added up and did the confer, conver, um, conversion for all these currencies, and they finally, finally uh, let me in, and there I am in so Northern So you show Turkey. them the, the letter from the Secretary General of the United Nations, and do they like, is that register? <laughs> just like military yes. people in scary vests that are like, eh. Well, I'm so glad you brought that up because people like diplomats and heads of state that have been invited to this thing, they don't enter Turkey via land border mm-hmm. through a obscure forest in the middle of the night. So they're like, this is so, well, well, they don't believe me. They're just like, they're like, why don't you, they like, what's wrong with you? Like, you know, just tell us you're like this kind of backpacker, you know, you're going to, you're going to stumble smoke shisha what like they're like why did this guy you know and I'm yeah. like yeah i'm going to the u.n and like take like take all these random currencies and yeah, yeah i'm probably looking a bit disheveled right i've been on a train for like you know what like a month at this point yeah. <laughs> yeah, i got my backpack on i i i may have that you know you know what i think did it i may have showed them the golden serbian chain I think I think that's how I may have proved it to them. I don't Dude, think they believe anything. That's the until first they, thing you should have done. That's like I this. took out the I took out the chain, and they're like, "Yes." And I think I may have had like my suit and like a like a suit carrier kind of thing. So yeah, uh-huh. yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, I, I just realized how absurd that was of me telling them I'm going to meet like heads of the UN. If like, you yeah, hadn't have gotten the Serbian golden chain. Which obviously uh, I, was your I mean, visa through Europe anyway, dude. Oh, duh. <laughs> yeah, right. They probably think you're like some sort of royalty. Oh, uh, just oh, just wait, just wait till the stories of um of when I got to the actual conference. Okay, so so the far, forest guards let you through with this like menagerie of random currency, like and the chain and the and the and the Serbian golden emblem. Yeah. I told you you should have worn that thing more. See? <laughs> well, you know, I, I learned my lesson. I learned my lesson. How did they um, even know what that was? Uh, because remember, um, they tried to invade us and lost. Oh, the so they're, they're, they're heavily they know, they, know very, they know very well. Do they saw it and like, okay, we understand. We know. We remember what we happened don't want any trouble. years ago. We don't want we any trouble. We, we remember you guys fight to the death. And uh, you know, they, you know, they kind of parted like the sea, and and there it is. I'm on it, and but this is still kind of northern Turkey, so there's still uh, quite ways to go. And I remember, like it was yesterday, I entered Istanbul, and it was uh, dawn, so it was like really wow. early in the morning. It and it, it. Have you been to Istanbul? No, no, but I can it, just picture it at dawn. Go ahead. It's 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 a scene to behold. The um, so the. The architecture is Eastern, right? So you're not in mm-hmm. Europe anymore. It's 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 you know, dotted with minarets and mosques and kind of these grand buildings. Because because it used to be Constantinople, so mm-hmm. there's still some remnants of Constantinople, which was the Eastern Ro- the capital of the Eastern Roman Empire, right? Mm-hmm. Including the Hagia Sophia, the, you know, the, the the kind of main thing people go to see there and you know i'm entering a dawn and this is this is this is the largest city i have ever seen in my life at this point and i have been to uh, los angeles new york and chicago yeah wow. this thing somehow looks bigger it's chaotic there's buildings kind of everywhere again there's no grid like i'm used to growing up mm-hmm. like we have in north america europe just like these massive buildings everywhere the the, the guys speeding they drive like absolute lunatics and Coming from Serbia, that's really saying a lot. And Bulgaria, yeah. as I'm sure you remember. <laughs> yeah. so, you know, these, these guys are even worse. Um, you know, 
and you know the, the kind of the bus stops then I, I need to get a taxi to, to take me to the to the hotel which is adjacent to the kind of pavilion where this there were this UN um, summit will be taking place mm-hmm. and uh, you know they don't speak English so so this so this is where I want to kind of tell other people like again um, traveler tip especially like if if you're a female going alone or even if, if you're you're a male and you're unfamiliar with it this is where you kind of have to present yourself as being assertive um because you have you have taxi drivers that don't really speak english yeah they the only thing they could do is like read off a piece of paper the address of the hotel and they're probably going to try to rip you off absolutely and, they're definitely and, going to rip you off they're they're going to they're going to rip you off or, or try to um and then of course you know, I'm kind of talking to them. This one guy, he's like, oh, I know. He, like, I like to think he says I know where that is. But, you know, I, he kind of pointed to the address and it was kind of assumed he would take me there. And, um, you know, we're going towards there. I don't see. I don't know if I, I don't know if I had data on my phone where I was able to track it. I may have. I think I may have. And then I kind of see that he's, um, you know, he's zigzagging a little bit. He's trying to get a little little extra coin out of me. Yeah. And, and you know what I do, Joe? I'm in the back. I'm in the back seat, so he can see me. Mm-hmm. in in the in the in the in the rear view mirror, I take out the emblem. Shut up! I took out the emblem. I'm just kind of like, hey, I t- I'm like, hey, like this is what I'm about. And he took me to the hotel for the next three minutes. Dude, what? So- Dude, there's they know, something they about know. this emblem. They, they, you know, they, 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 they know, they know what time it is. Um, anyway, I get, I get taken off. I get taken to to the hotel and um, there it is. The the conference is the next day. I have arrived. Wait, do you think so? I'm super fascinated by this. Do you think that people are just seeing a big gold chain and they're like, oh, this guy's important or they specifically like this is a big gold Serbian chain? It's a mix. It's a mix because, you know, I just showed up at Istanbul at 5 a.m. in the morning and and told him to take me to this to this UN summit and the, you know this is the talk of the town right Istanbul is hosting this thing yeah. and um this is the first one in history so everyone knows about it and they're just like you know like you know they're like this backpacker that I thought I could kind of rip off because you know like I don't I can pass for anything like I'm Serbian but you know some people say I look Polish or Irish or whatever Right, yeah, like it's it's and not then, a given. Then, like you couldn't look at you, be like that guy's from there, you know? Yeah, right. And then he's kind of like, oh, mm-hmm. right. Like mm-hmm. he's going to the UN and he has this massive Serbian chain. So I think it's a kind of a combination of the chain and being Serbian, which made him stop messing around with me. And we went straight, straight to the venue. That's a gift, man. That's a gift. So it, as you finally, after months and months and months on on trains and on ships and everything. You arrive at the UN conference. Paint the scene for me. What what is going on? What are you seeing? What are you hearing? How do you feel? Oh, holy shit! Okay. Um, this has a hundred and fifty heads of state, and in early two thousand sixteen, there had been a barrage of Kurdish suicide attacks all over Turkey, including Istanbul. Um, including their airport two days before my other members of my organization flew in. So everyone is very relaxed. There are snipers on the roof of the venue. 
that like I'm walking into and you have like five layers of like gated security because you have all these internationals from all over the place and Turkey doesn't want to make it look like you know this is like a big lapse of their security and international mm -hmm. debacle to have something happen in the first ever world humanitarian summit mm -hmm. and you know like and I'm just like you know what you know my anxiety is kind of like what this this is my first UN thing at this point right yeah and it seems and like, like a pretty hardcore UN thing you know the the most hardcore you I think, and like you actually see the snipers on the roofs. I hope you're wearing your like, big gold chain now. I'm well, it wasn't big enough. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because and like and like and and they have like and the, the their rifles are pointed in your direction, so it's not like they don't. There's not like snipers that are like walking um back back and forth in like a patrolling manner. Do you mm -hmm. get what I mean? It's yeah. snipers on the roof of this thing and they're like, so I'm like, what if this guy thinks that I have something in my bag, right? And all these like stupid thoughts are going through my head. You're done, man. You're done. Right yeah, there. yeah. I'm just like, I'm like, I'm like, what? Like, what in the world is this? I thought I was just, you know, here to, you know, shake a couple hands, you know, network a little bit, do my humanitarian thing. But anyway, like, you know, after what seemed like two hours in security checks I get in and I am in for the opening ceremony wait what what's the opening ceremony are you in the opening ceremony or just like watching it I I am at, okay so this so this is like this is where the UN it gets interesting so like everyone sees uh, the UN as this kind of thing that's super organized like every country puts money towards the UN when it's essentially kind of like the closest we have to like a unified world government kind of thing. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So you expect mm -hmm. the highest level of organizations, especially when you have 150 heads of state attending this event in this opening ceremony. Yeah. Right. Joe, this is it's nothing like that. Oh, no. It's nothing like that. Oh, no. No, 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 no. Pe people, people are fighting, scrambling to get into the opening ceremony. Um, let me tell you why I got in. I had on my suit. Uh -huh. I had on my golden chain. I'm wearing, I had no idea why. I think I was kind of inspired by like uh, some of the Arab delegations that wear their traditional dress. Uh -huh. And sometimes they wear sunglasses. And I was uh -huh. like, that is so fucking cool. So I'm wearing like a traditional Serbian hat, sunglasses. And a traditional Serbian hat can really pass for kind of like you you can't it's really hard to put it a geographical um location to it so they uh -huh. don't know where i'm from so i have this traditional serbian hat that just kind of looks ethnic and awesome to everybody yeah um check, check out my instagram if you want to see pictures of it what uh, color I is that wear it all the time it's it's black and white with a little is it tassel tassel on the back uh -huh. so it's like i could i could be from anywhere um <laughs> i'm wearing i'm wearing these like aviators and um, I have this giant golden Serbian eagle chain. And this is the only reason they let me into the opening ceremony. <laughs> I would let you in the club too. The, the, yeah, right. You know what I'm saying? And, this, and, this, and like everyone else there is kind of like people that are like, you know, like they're, they're ministers and foreign ministers and they're not letting them in. They're just not. They're like, no, it's full. I'm sorry. And then like for you, they're like, yes. Yeah. So like what country? I'm like Serbia. I didn't, I didn't even, but, but I wasn't even there on behalf of Serbia. They're just like, what country? I'm like Serbia. Cause it just felt like the right thing to say. Yeah, with yeah, this, yeah. It's with gotten this, you this uh, far, man. With this outfit and they let me in and this, okay. So, 
what they let me in was like the audience was the head guy of every country. <laughs> I'm like, how? Think you're the head guy from Serbia. The fuck? How the fuck are you? Yeah, and you know what? I'm just like a junior humanitarian at this point. Why are you letting me in here? Anyway, because the you know they let me in. Um, and you know, and you know, and they let me in at the front, right? So the entrance is right at the front, right into the stage where you have the host of the entire show. And you know, and you know who they got as the host? I have no idea. They got the guy that plays J James Bond. Daniel Craig. Daniel Craig. So like, so to the left of me, there's like the James Bond guy, and I just walk and he looks in. like a Bond villain. Yeah, and listen, I'm I look like a <laughs> Bond villain. You know, and at this point, I'm just kind of like this backpacking kind of traveler, and that's kind of still dazed from this insanely long journey. And they let me in, and to my left, and I'm really talking like maybe like. 20 feet away from me is the James Bond guy and to the right of me is like the head of every single country in the world from like Merkel to the Sheikh of Dubai you know what I mean like to the to, to the other side of me and I'm like what the because at this point I'm like I'm like the UN is this highly kind of coordinated security thing yeah not at all um they're like they're like what country I'm like I don't know what to say. I'm like Serbia because remember, because remember, Serbia told me that they weren't sending anybody. Yeah, right. So you're something. the guy. Okay. You're by default so the, the guy. So oh, that's what I thought. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the usher, so the usher, kind of like he's taken me up. Um, he's taken me up to the Serbian spot. Oh no. To the Serbian section. No, no. there's a section. And, oh, no. And, 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 no, no, no. It's, it's, it's not a section. It had they had they had one seat. Every country had one seat because this was so elite and exclusive. Every country had one seat. Oh man. And he pu he pulls up to like where Serbia is, and uh, he t and like you know like it's dark. James Bond's doing his thing on the stage, and he and he tells like the other people to get up so I can get through. So when I say other people, like alphabetically, this is like the president of like Syria and the Seychelles and Sierra Leone, okay, St. <laughs> Lucia. They're looking all like very pissed off. Yeah. They have to get up and these, you know, they're elbowing each other. They're, you know, they're like, who is this like weirdo with this gold chain that I have to get up for? And his hat. And they get, and you know, they get up, they kind of clear the way only for me to see that there is someone sitting there already for Serbia. Oh, uh. And you know, and it's and you and you know what he says. What he says? Who the fuck are you? Because <laughs> no, because listen, Serbs don't usually dress like this. Like you know, yeah. they they wear like a suit and tie. <laughs> You're dressed like a caricature they don't, well, of they they don't, you know, Right? They don't they don't wear the the traditional hat. The aviators and a you know just massive gold chain. He's he didn't know what was going on. He didn't yeah. know. I was confused. He was confused. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm here for Serbia. I was told no one would be here. And he's he's some kind of minister, by the way. Oh, he's a minister. He's a, yeah. he's a thing. He's not our prime minister. I'd recognize yeah. him, but he's a minister. Oh boy. And uh, and he's like he's like like no, I'm here. At this point, the other countries are pissed because yeah. they're kind of like standing. He elbowed them to get up. Say, you know, Saint Lucia is ready to throw hands. Yeah, you know well, I, mean? I mean, what kind of hands are they really going to throw? <laughs> like, what are they going to do? Um, and and I'm just like, oh, okay. Like, you know, like my my confidence in this chain has gotten me this far, but like, you know, I'm he's not going to sit in my lap and I'm not no. going to sit in his. Yeah. 
I'm just like, I'm like, okay. And you know, I gave, I gave him kind of a nod. I'm like, you know, I'm like, okay. I'm like, I'm glad you're here. Cause, cause mm-hmm. at the UN, you got to fake it. Like, you know what you're doing and that you're somebody powerful. Right. Okay. So I'm like, okay. I'm like, I'm glad you're here. And then I make it look like I voluntarily kind of walk back and let him stay in his seat. You know, oh. I'm like, All right. I'm like, I'm like, I'm, I'm glad to see you here. And you know, the usher is left. So I'm kind of on, on my own. Uh-huh. Uh, I back up, you know, the other countries finally sit down, you know, Syria's looking disgruntled at this point. And like, I'm not making this up. They're elbowing each other, making faces, looking really pissed off. Heads yeah. of state or people too. Um, I kind of, I kind of back out like, and you know, the seats are kind of taken. So you know what I do? I have no idea. Standing I just go, st- I, I just go stand at the very front so that I'm like five feet away from James Bond. And, uh, you know, Here's bodyguard, I, here's bodyguard, basically body double. No, nah, I'm the villain. And, and I'm standing, and I'm standing there and I enjoyed, and it was beautiful. The, the, uh, what's Erdogan, the president of Turkey came next. Then Sean Penn came and there was just me like a couple feet away. And, um, what a fantastic you know, story. I mean, that's, that's like it. literally one of the most preposterous things I've ever heard. <laughs> And the visual of it is fantastic. I, like that you got across Eastern Europe with this gold chain and it gets you into this very exclusive VIP event and then to your seat and that's it. Like that's And that's it. And I, I, I did not exact like I don't know if I'm I don't I don't even know if I'm gonna get in trouble for this, but I didn't exaggerate one thing that happened. No, I think I mean that's the story. <laughs> it, was you know? it was wild. It was wild. That's 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 the story. And uh, there it so is. That's the Serbian that's minister the guy. Ceremony. Serbian minister guy. Like, he would have seen this chain too and been like, "What is was what? Who are you?" Yeah, because yeah, it's a very official looking chain, like with with our emblem on it. Yeah, he was just you know we we just kind of looked at each other because in confusion. Yeah. I don't know what he's doing there, and he doesn't know what I'm doing there, but uh. The, the train, uh, the the chain belonged. The, cha- the the chain was confident throughout. That's incredible. That's an absolutely <laughs> incredible story. And so, um, the conference goes on. Uh, I presume that you actually get some business done there. Absolutely. So it was it was just absolutely mind blowingly good for networking. Uh, um, you had you had you had. Um, representatives of every single country there. Uh, I, I ended up like business cards. I think I had like a stack of business cards that I, that I, which was like two feet high. Um, just imagine like, you know, everybody doing anything humanitarian and running every country in the world is there in kind of like an intimate space. We got to meet Ban Ki-moon, who was the actual um, under secretary general of the UN then. There's mm-hmm. a new one now. We got to meet him, and it and it's so incredible because you don't know you don't know where to meet him because for security for security detail they don't release it to anybody. Right. So he just shows up all over this summit unannounced for five minutes and leaves. It's it's, it's so interesting. Uh, it's 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 a cool life, and like if you if you if you've been around celebrities before, like and seen them, and you think they have security, like you just kind of see who has the real power here. His security team, it was just insane. No one knew where he was going. Not even like, you know, the local, cause I asked some of the organizers, I'm like, hey, where is he gonna be at? Like, they're like, we don't know, we don't know. So that was cool, we got to meet him. He, he came to, it was kind of a pavilion with a lot of stalls. That's where mm-hmm. he stopped and he talked to us a little bit. 
Um, we have pictures of this as well. It was it was really cool. And what's this the general is, reception kind of like? You tell these important people um, what you're doing and how do they feel about it? Uh, it, it generally, generally, really positive. Uh, the whole the whole vibe was very positive because um, that we're we're what kind of stood out about us as well besides how we were dressed is we're also a younger organization. I must have been like, I was probably, I was, uh, I was in my, I was in my twenties. Then the, the, the other two members with me, they were like mid twenties. We're a younger organization as well. Right. So they're yeah. like, they're like to go on top of it. They're like, you know, what are you, what are you guys doing here really? But it, it was great. Um, then like the breakout kind of conferences did, was things were just insane. Sean Penn had a private uh, screening of his new movie that he had made. That's um, I went to that. Yeah, you go to that, and then like, and then, you know, and then Bank he showed up to that as well. So like, you know, he's sitting five feet away from me, and then like, Sean Penn is kind of like, you know, ten feet in front of me, like you know, talking about the movie. He's he's gonna he's gonna show. I think I actually even asked him a question. I think I asked him a question. I, I don't recall what it is, but um, yeah, it was surreal. surreal. Let's talk a little bit about, I mean, because you have this incredible tale and it's grungy, it's glamorous, uh, but let's talk about the actual boots on the ground of 28 June and what that looks like. Tell us what it looks like to see your organization in action when you're not at the UN Summit with Daniel Craig and Sean Penn. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm really glad that that you brought that up because you know people like to hear about like you know the glamorous highlights, but behind that, um, you know, on a very serious note, make no mistake, there is ten years of very hard, dedicated work from not just myself, but the hundreds and and even thousands of volunteers that we've had through these years that, um really care because it's it's a volunteer-based organization that really care about other people and have donated dedicated their money their time their patience their nerves blood sweat tears to honestly truly trying to make this world a better place mm -hmm. and that is that's what's kind of you know the foundation of why we get to go to these trips you know once in a while and you know do this kind of stuff and i'm, I'm really glad you asked that, that that is that is the essence of the organization. Um, please do not get into humanitarian work to meet Sean Penn and get a golden emblem chain. Yeah, I feel like that's not a thing that normally happens. While we're talking about it, you guys can get more info at 28jun.org. It's 28jun.org to get a better idea of like what Philippe's actually talking about here because it is it is really impressive and really serious that you don't get invited to the UN flippantly, you know? Uh, although the story is <laughs> it's really incredible and I love it, but uh, it's pretty fantastic work that you're doing that all started because of a passion to do more than just sit around on the keyboard and, and talk about it. And uh, I think that's huge. You actually have to take action in this world and a lot of times I think there's a disconnect, you know? Do you agree? We we feel like we're taking action because we're tweeting or we're writing, or we're posting, but to actually physically do it and go around this world and ride cargo ships and trains and meet with people about this passion, you know? You have you probably have to give the same speech over and over and over and over again and with the same level of enthusiasm, and it's not easy to do that. 
that's that's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. Uh, you know, uh, originally the organization, because at this point the summit took place when the organization was at about four or five years in. Mm-hmm. But the beginning, the beginning was even harder. Like you know, like I was a young guy that had come from you know like the music industry, right? Like hip, particularly hip hop, and I'm trying to convince these people to join my cause, donate to my cause, dedicate their time to my cause. And you know, a lot of people were rolling their eyes. Um, they're just like, oh, like, why should I trust you? And you kind of go from city to city. You kind of begging people, you're calling people to, to, to support, support your cause. And it's, it's really, it's really, it's really hard. The, the early days of establishing anything are tremendously hard. There, there was also a lot of luck involved, to be honest with you. There's a lot of luck involved. It's luck, hard work, and truly a passion to, to, to help. And that passion, and it can't be, it can't be something that is not going to last, right? Yeah. If if you if you're doing this just to go to the UN and just to shake hands with some heads of state, you're not going to do this for ten years. You know, you're going to go to your first summit, maybe second summit. You're going to be like, all right, I'm going to go do do whatever my real passion is, right? But you have to have a true passion and love for what you do to to do it for such a long time. And I think that is probably the most important attribute of of a humanitarian. Yeah, more important than anything else <laughs> that that desire to change the world um and it, you know you don't have to be somebody that goes around the world on a cargo ship to affect change you can affect change locally in your community um, you can affect change by donating to other people that are doing what philippe's doing um, it, it all depends on like your level of comfort and passion uh, for us i think the reason this show exists in part is because as a travel writer yeah i am privileged to go to a lot of places for free and don't get it twisted we self-fund a lot of expeditions to go find great stories that quite frankly editors don't really want to buy right now but i think as someone who has this privilege of going to um, great hotels and islands like saint lucia um, i'll never tell them i know you now and (laughs) you know I feel like it's on me to shine a spotlight on other people and other stories that matter, which is a big reason I wanted to talk to you today. Yeah, absolutely. And I appreciate that very much. And I just kind of, you know, I second that it's, it's, it's a privilege, uh, to, to be able to do, to be able to see some of these, uh, some of these, uh, places that both me and you have uh, been to. And that's why I think for us that are privileged enough to be able to do this, like, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of unglamorous hard work that goes on that not everyone sees, but it is important that we do kind of give back to the people that, uh, may have not had the opportunity to, to, to do what we do and see what we've seen. So I think what, what we'll do with this is I want to wind down this episode and uh, I want you guys to bear with us because there's just so much to unpack here and we've only just gotten to Turkey. I'll have to speed up the, the second half of this because we're, we're only in Turkey and I went around the world. So if you can picture the globe, I'm only one third in. The Get Lost Podcast is a production of Sold Outside Exploration Company. Follow the show on Instagram at Get Lost Podcast. And stay tuned next week for episode two in this two-part series.